Welcome to the HR Empowerment Podcast, where we will uncover strategies and new insights from HR professionals who discuss up-to-date regulations, best practices, and the most pressing topics like diversity and equity, leadership, dealing with difficult situations, and much more that affect your bottom line and business. Thanks for joining us. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Wendy Sellers here, the HR lady with JC. Aloha. Well, as we've been talking about harassment, it's more than just sexual harassment. And I, I don't like using that word just because it makes it seem like sexual harassment is is something lesser. But it is, uh, you know, where a lot of the state laws start opening up and saying, OK, federal law, you just have to prevent harassment and make sure that you stop it. But many states have their own laws that say you have to do more. Maybe even we're going to go over that in the next episode soon here. But what do you need to do to prevent or stop harassment at your workplace? What do you think it is? I think what you need to do is just very simply provide reasonable accommodation, make sure that everyone talks to each other and uh, snacks on Thursdays. Snacks are always good. Make sure they're gender gender neutral snacks. (laughs) No, that's totally not it. But communication, though, you did hit that part. Honestly, you did hit that part. It's really about training and open communication. So uh, I worked at a place once um, which really educated me on um, um, bad employer practices (laughs) and they weren't willing to change. So I left. Uh, But open door policy does not mean open communication because when people say open door policy, just because the door is open doesn't mean you're actually welcome to go in there <laughs> and have a conversation. So right. you really, really have to train not just your managers, not just your supervisors, but every single employee. It's got to be, you know, we're all in this together. On the EEOC's website is very detailed information for small businesses, regardless of your size, and then for larger businesses as well. And if anybody that's listening today is, you know, maybe driving and you're like, I I need to get this information, feel free to drop me a line on LinkedIn or on my website. Uh, So, you know, the HRlady.com, I'll be more than happy to send you the links to all this information. But there's, I really love what the EEOC has done in the past couple of years. There's a section on the EEOC's website that says small business, and it doesn't really define what small business is. But I'm looking at right now uh, on my screen here of It's a PDF and it basically says preventing discrimination is good business. And then it goes down and really outlines what your responsibility as an employer are. And it keeps it real simple and high level. Should you desire, just feel free to Google EEOC small business. And you're going to find it that way too. Underneath that category that you're talking about there, your responsibilities as an employer ensure that employment decisions are not based on race, color, religion, sex, national origin, disability, age, or genetic information. But do Do take the next step here. Ensure that work policies and practices are related to the job and do not disproportionately exclude people of a particular race, color, religion, sex, national origin, disability, or age. Wendy, I see a trend here. Ensure that employees are not harassed because of race, color, religion, sex, national origin, disability, age, or genetic information. I find that one really intriguing, especially since so many of us have taken DNA tests now. Yeah. During the past couple of years, the genetic information part has really, really come like front, you know, front and center because there was a lot of accusations um, in the media, unfortunately, which then leaked into the into businesses 
about where did COVID come from. So there was definitely a lot of information, you know, about race, uh, color, even religion, and then genetic information uh, where people possibly, uh, employers wanted their employees to take, I don't know, a COVID test or prove that they had a vaccine. Mm -hmm. And then, well, why don't you have the vaccine? Well, if it was because of their religion, then they were probably covered. That's a whole other topic. But, you know, if, if you need information that contact me separately. But there's a lot there. And on top of this, JC, this is just the federal uh, requirements. Your state, whether you work in one state and your employee works in another, so you might have two states, may have completely additional, you know, uh, more laws that you have to comply with. And again, I'm not an expert at all the states and territories. So you need to make sure that you are providing information, displaying posters. They're free on the EEOC website. You don't have to go to those expensive uh, platforms and buy these posters. It, those posters are expensive. And they're actually free. They're available out there. They really are. They're free. All, all of them. And you could just print them out now for those folks that are listening today and maybe you are 100% virtual or mostly virtual, you still have to have posters. So you have to have uh, maybe an intranet and it has to be an easily accessible intranet that everybody knows about. Um, so it's not <laughs> hidden. <laughs> and, and, you know, if you have multiple languages, then you have to have the posters in multiple languages and you need to make sure everybody has access to that intranet or that website and that it's not just in a break room, but nobody actually comes into the office anymore. So think about those things as well. Very, very important. Wendy, there was some other interesting things on that EEO website, EEOC website. I, I saw checklists for employers. And this one in particular, to start things off, I can't thank you enough for sharing it with me. It's leadership and accountability checklist. The first step for creating a holistic harassment prevention program is for leadership of an organization to establish a culture of respect in which harassment is not tolerated. Check the box if leadership of your organization has taken the following steps. And it guides us through three boxes right in the very beginning. I won't read the entire form for you, but just from the leadership perspective, these first three, leadership has allocated sufficient resources for harassment prevention effort. Leadership has allocated sufficient staff time for harassment prevention effort. Leadership has assessed harassment risk factors and has taken steps to minimize those risks. And this checklist goes on. It's really in depth. It really is. And I'm not going to lie to you folks. I didn't even know about this checklist until I was setting up, uh, preparing for this podcast. And so I'm the HR lady and I learned something new today. And I'm definitely going to make sure that I'm posting this on LinkedIn and all my social media, making sure that my clients have it. As I'm looking at it, I was holding my breath going, oh, have I been doing this for my clients? And I could safely say that we pretty much have all of these covered. But the biggest thing that I think are those three items that you just talked about, JC, is the staff time. I'm, I'm willing to bet that the staff time is the one that uh, tricks a lot of companies because they say, oh, I just put it in the handbook so that I don't have to actually sit with every member of the staff and talk about it oh, because yeah. that's too expensive and that's too time consuming. Now, the EEOC does not identify that you have to do, say, a two-hour training every year, but your state may identify it. Or if you're named in a lawsuit, the lawsuit may identify it and say, hey, for the next five years, we're going to be closely watching you and you have to do 
discrimination prevention training, harassment prevention training on maybe racial discrimination or, or whatever one that you were unfortunately busted for. But it is a very, very intense list that goes on and here's, on and on. In- here's interesting right here for you. If we go a little bit further, the first three questions were about leadership. But in the second batch, it, it hones in on uh, based on the commitment of leadership. Check the box if the organization has the following components. So it drills down. And very specifically drills down to the point of saying accountability for mid-level managers and frontline supervisors to prevent and or respond to workplace harassment, regular compliance trainings for mid-level managers and frontline supervisors so they know how to prevent and or respond to workplace harassment. And it goes further. Some excellent things there. But this is only the first checklist. There's more, right, Wendy? Yeah, there's a lot more. And I'm telling you, we reinvent the wheel for whatever reason, and and the government has laid this all out. I'm very impressed with their website. But the so that checklist one was the one that you were talking about. Checklist two is saying, okay, employers, you have to create an anti-harassment policy, and that is the EEOC considers that a key component of a holistic harassment prevention effort. And then there's a whole list on that a checklist that says, have you done this? Have you made a statement that says we do not allow harassment? And it's based on all these protected characteristics, which JC listed before. But remember, for your state, there may be additional characteristics. The EEOC is just going over the federal guidelines. But this is the one that I I find interesting is the box is, you know, have you created a effort, a policy on having an easy to understand description of prohibited conduct, including examples. That's pretty clear. That's really clear, actually. Be careful when you're listing these examples. Again, they're all on the EEOC website. You can just copy and paste. But remember, you have to put them in your handbook and in your training to the education and intelligence level of your employees and then the language of your employees too. So if you have a, you know, a a high population that mainly speaks Spanish then it needs to be in Spanish and English probably. So you can't just copy and paste in your training. You have to make sure that the examples are relevant and under that your employees understand them where somebody else's employees may understand it at a different level. So just a real high look overview um, from that checklist to the anti-harassment policy. It goes into checklist three, a harassment reporting system and investigations. Checklist four, it outlines and defines compliance training as well as key factors to consider. And then they also provide you a chart of risk factors for harassment and responsive strategies, as well as a plethora of information on outreach programs. But before even getting there, these checklists are amazing. I just wanted to hit those high-level bullet points for you real quick. If there's anything you want to drill in on, over to you, Wendy. Well, I want to look at the, the talk about the checklist, the first item on the checklist under risk factor. I mean, it basically talks about, you know, if let's just say you have an employee um, and they're, they're claiming um, racial discrimination. And your organization historically lacks diversity, and there's currently only one minority uh, in a work group, a team, a department, a location. That alone is going at the EEOC to say, uh oh, 
you may or may not, but you as the employer may have discriminated against candidates. And that's why you do not have these people on your team. So there's a lot. History speaks for a lot. I know during the height of the beginning of the pandemic, when a lot of organizations were doing layoffs, uh, this was definitely one of my focuses with my clients to make sure that they were being super careful of not only removing, uh, you know, white males or, you know, black females. And like, we have to be, if you're doing layoffs, we have to remove them all consistently and then make sure that you're not going to be accused of discrimination and harassment. And the interesting thing is none of my clients were accused of, or if they were, they didn't tell me, but it really helped educate some of the business owners saying, you know, when I'm looking at this right now, it looks pretty bad. This was not my intent. And I'm like, yeah, EEOC doesn't care about your intent. No. <laughs> they care about your actions. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, thanks for bringing up that chart. I'm telling you, folks, um, it is the, the EEOC has so much information there for you already. Risk factors for harassment and responsive strategies. Uh, when you get into that chart right there, it even outlines cultural and language differences in the workplace, just like you mentioned. Uh, uh, but it goes into young workforces and workplaces with high-value employees. This one's actually really intriguing. Executives or senior managers, employees with high-value, let that be actual or perceived. This is in that risk register and that risk chart. And uh, to the employer, the rainmaking partner or the prized grant-winning researcher is who they're talking about. And management is often reluctant to jeopardize high-value employees' economic value to the employer, and high-value employees may perceive themselves as actually exempt from workplace rules or immune from consequences of their misconduct. And their recommendation is to very simply apply workplace rules uniformly, regardless of rank or value to the employer. If a high-value employee is discharged for misconduct, consider publicizing that fact unless there's a good reason not to. They actually have that in black and white. It's real intriguing. Very helpful. I, I can't I can't say enough to go to the EEOC's website. Feel free to contact me. I'll send you all the links because I go there a lot and um, they're doing a really great job of pr providing free information and they will either, even help you do low cost or free training depending on the situation and where you're located. Before we go on to the next section here, what I wanted to just talk about real quick is some court cases, because I know that um, some executives don't listen until they are scared. And they say, oh boy, that organization over there that's in the news is similar to mine. And now we better we better check out what's going on here. So let's, let's talk about some of the uh, cases that the EEOC has, to, has been involved in so that we can kind of share some information. Remember, it's not just about sexual harassment. So one of them that I'm looking at right here, JC, is right on the EEOC website. It's a resolved case. And it was um, actually with a cannabis company, uh, which is interesting in itself. And it was against an organization that provides HR and payroll functions. And the case was about hostile work environment based on sex. And in this case, it was uh, the charging, the parties involved, one of the parties involved was a, a gay individual. And they said, hey, I, I brought this up to my employer and they didn't do anything. 
And so now I'm bringing it to the EEOC. In this case, they ended up firing the person who was charged, who charged, um, the, who said, hey, I, I'm being harassed. So do you think that went over well? <laughs> Probably not so much. Uh, the general manager was terminated uh, in October of 2019 in this particular case. That was a year after the first complaints and only after defendants received notice of the charge of discrimination. The three-year consent decree provides for $175,000 in compensatory damages $45,000 to charging party and $130,000 to five other claimants and enjoins sex-based harassment and retaliation. Defendants were required to implement an anti-discrimination policy focusing on sex-based harassment and will have to provide trainings on sexual-based harassment in the workplace. Here's the thing that blows my mind on, on this one is this just happened a couple of years ago. And that's why I really was like, hey, JC, this isn't the most fun topic to talk about, but there's many employers out there, many managers that just don't get it. And we as HR, and I know many people that are on today are as HR or acting as HR, I think we just assume that, oh yeah, everybody knows you're not supposed to sexually harass people. And here we have right here, a pretty large organization that provides HR functions. That's the part that kills me. Yeah. And, then, and then they ended up in major trouble. Um, and what you mentioned there is so, you know, $175,000 isn't probably that expensive for many organizations, but they're on the news. They're in the EEOC's website. They're on this podcast. But the person who actually complained about the harassment got $45,000. And then five other people got money, too. So it's not wow. just about the one person who's complaining. It's about everybody that's involved. And if you've ever been involved in a harassment um, investigation, it is uh, time sucking. It is expensive because of time. And it is demoralizing to everybody. It, it kills your morale of your organization. Oh, yeah. With that said, I want to take a break real quick here so we can move on to our next session of our podcast and where we, I want to talk about a little bit more about state laws regarding harassment and discrimination. So we will see you in one moment. Thank you for joining the HR Empowerment Podcast brought to you by Aurora Training Advantage. We hope you've gained new insight and strategies to navigate the HR profession. We look forward to you joining us again on the HR Empowerment Podcast.